And the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise from the dead. And again, that question, what did John see? What did the beloved disciple see? And what did he believe? Well, on one hand, we know that what he saw was what Simon Peter saw, his brother apostle. They went into the tomb. They found the tomb, we say empty, but it wasn't empty. And that was part of the great puzzle on that day. It was bereft of any body, but the grave clothes were there. It's strange that they wouldn't go if the body had been moved. If there were grave robbers, why wouldn't they take the one valuable thing there? But instead, the sense that the shroud, the wrappings, were as it were almost collapsed like the cocoon that's left after the butterfly has flown forth. The face cloth, the Greek word is the sudarian, which I think is helpful to know because sometimes you'll read about the sudarian, like the shroud being one of the the holy relics that you might have opportunity to see at some time with, with, again, the imprint of the face that lines up with things of the shroud as well. But the face cloth, not just cast aside, but neatly folded and to one side. Peter and John both saw the same things with the physical eyes, but there's a sense that John perceived something more. And I think about that gift that is there with the spiritual gifts when you read Isaiah 11 and of that shoot that comes up from the stump of Jesse. And you hear about the one who will not judge by the evidence of his eyes. He won't judge by what he takes in just with his natural senses, but it's in righteousness that he will judge. There are other ways of seeing. There are other ways of knowing. What was it that John saw? What was it that he believed? What we do know as we read through his gospel that on various occasions he sees things that at least the others didn't record. Did the others take in the things that were there? Times when he saw something of the Lord's glory at work, something more of what was going on at the baptism at the Jordan, the wedding feast at Cana and Galilee, the raising of Lazarus. He's the one who is identified at the foot of the cross. We don't know for sure that no one else was there of the apostles, except we're told that they all fled. But we do know that the beloved disciple was there with the Holy Mother and the other women who were present. That he gazed up there from the foot of the cross. What was there that he had seen before that perhaps helped him even then, to see things on the cross, what did he see? What did he know at the cross that was there with him when he went to the tomb and found it empty? Peter stood wide-eyed and stunned by the scene, but John saw and believed. He had been at the foot of the cross with the Blessed Mother when her son addressed her as woman. An address that sounds kind of curt in our modern ears, but not so in the context. And John certainly knew mother and son well enough to know that there was the deep love between them. And the last thing he was going to be in his his agony on the cross was curt and short and rude with his mother. 
Rather, the beloved disciple saw the son who, in spite of his agony, in spite of the brokenness of his body, yet reached out in love to embrace his mother, to embrace that beloved disciple. We're never to forget when we see him at the foot that he's the one identified as disciple whom Jesus loved. And that ought to be what we know of ourselves. Jesus didn't love just one of the disciples. He loved his own with him. He loved them to the end. We ought to know ourselves first and foremost as the ones whom Jesus loves. But there at the foot of the cross, the address to the mother as woman, did that for John bring up the echo of what he heard at the wedding feast when the mother came to her son and was there addressed as woman. Was it echoing more deeply in him words from the very beginning of the story as the first woman was drawn out of the first man? She shall be called woman, for she has been drawn out of man. Did he hear there on the cross not just a son addressing his mother, but the very creator of this woman? Addressing her, not simply as a woman in a later age, but as the woman who is the new Eve. That first woman who was the mother of all the living. And yet, as I often say, she very quickly became the mother of all the dead. Because in Adam all die. By our sin were all the inheritors, all of the children of Eve, all of the subsequent generations are those who die, who are mortal. But now words addressed to the one who is the mother of life. I'm the resurrection and the life. Did John hear that? Did he get something of that in his soul, even at the foot of the cross? Now as he comes to the tomb and he finds the grave clothes set out like that, does he in that light think, okay, well, maybe this is the husk of the seed fallen away. Of course, the kernel is not here because life has sprouted. The shoot has pushed forth from the stump of Jesse. Why seek ye the living among the dead? What did he see? A hope promise fulfilled. Although he might not have known the scripture, he did know the Lord and he believed and put his trust in him. Soon he would behold the risen Christ face to face, but even now, resurrection filled John's heart. Resurrection of Jesus is without doubt historical fact. I've encountered those supposed scholars who want to dismiss things, but There just isn't, in terms of witness to historical events, there's no way that you can dismiss the resurrection and dismiss and not dismiss so much of what's recorded of human history. A few people have brought up that reminder recently of this idea that you have the disciples contriving to steal the body and uh, to declare that he is risen, which sounds like a good act if you gain something from it but what they gained was that they went out and they were persecuted and they were tortured and all but 
that beloved disciple died martyrs' deaths. Mm, sounded like a good plan. <laughs> we'll pretend that he's risen, and what do we get out of it? Thank you. Babylon B did a did a little sketch on that one, and poor John who is saying, "Okay, and what?" And they're all saying, "Well, we die miserable deaths." Guys, guys, what's wrong with this? What are we doing? Am I missing something? Our witness is not, though, just to something that happened 2,000 years ago. Reflecting on this again last night, you know that this gospel is a real gospel for us. It's not just that the Lord rose somewhere far off long ago, and it's a tale that we tell. We're not disciples of a great teacher of long ago whose wisdom has been passed on by his disciples through the ages. We worship and we serve the risen Lord, the one who meets us very particularly in this sacrament, that the body and blood that he gives to us is the body and blood as he's given to his disciples throughout the ages in between. He really and truly is present, not just in our hearts, but really and truly with us as he was with his disciples in the upper room. Yes, the appearance is a little bit hard at times to grasp that way. Although to receive flesh, to receive his blood, to know on our our tongues that living presence, we ought to encounter him as risen Lord. I think about Jesus who said to his disciples when he appeared, not just well, know that I'm here, or even touch me, there's something solid there, but actually said, handle me. See that there's flesh and bones there. A spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. A spirit does not feed us both in the body and in the spirit, doesn't manifest himself in so real a presence. He is really and truly alive, really and truly present with us on this day the risen Lord. It's that gift of the Spirit that He desires to give to each one of us, each beloved disciple, that we would know in our hearts, that we would know in the deeper way. I use the word know. I use the word know because we can believe the things of the Gospel. And that's important. It's good to have right belief. But we are to relate to Him. We're to walk with Him. We're to live in that life of prayer so that we can say not only I believe that Jesus is Lord, but I know the Lord who is with me always. The image of the seed comes up again. We talked about it last night. And there we have in Colossians those amongst my favorite words in in the epistles where Paul asserts, You have died, and your life is hid with Christ in God. If you have died with Jesus Christ, if your life is hidden in Him, there is no earthly power that can ultimately have power over you. That life is in Him and will grow up into the fullness of life eternal. That's His promise. And so Paul will say, set your Eyes on what is above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. That is not ignore the world, but 
Let your eyes be filled with that light so when you look at the world around, you look in that light, you look in that context, that you're not beaten down, that you don't give way to despair when the world so often seems to be so far from Him. Be filled with that light, be filled with that hope. What did John see and believe? Well, he saw what Simon Peter saw, but he perceived far more. He saw the light shining in the darkness with the eyes of his spirit that the darkness cannot comprehend. And he believed that Christ was indeed risen. He knew that Jesus was alive. By the first Adam and Eve, we were born to die, separated by sin from our Lord who is life. But as we have died in Christ Jesus, we are as seeds buried in the good soil of the Father's healing grace and love to be raised up and gathered into the last Adam and his new creation, given into the care likewise of his mother's love as to the new Eve, the matriarch now of the living in Christ. Therefore we need fear no earthly power nor pain, for we are already alive in him who is at the right hand of the Father's love. Over that life, the world, the flesh, and the devil have no power. They cannot separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. When Christ who is our life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory, that we may evermore dwell in him and he in us. Alleluia, Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia. May we see, believe, know, and entrust our lives to him.